Amen, church. Good morning. It is good to be in the house of the Lord, isn't it? Amen. Tell somebody, it is good to be in the house of the Lord. Put some more O's in it. It is good to be in the house of the Lord. <laughs> Amen. All right, well, I'm excited. Um, uh, my name, I'm going to just move this for a second. My name is Paul Bowden. I'm on the guest services team. Uh, I'm a member here at Harvest. I'm your guest speaker for today. And our pastors, Mike and Rhonda, are visiting their new baby granddaughter, Jane. So that's exciting. They've been working very, very hard, obviously, for the last, well, a long time uh, to get the new building up and to get all of us here. Uh, they deserve a day off, don't they? Yeah, and uh, if you're a grandmother or a grandfather, uh, I know that the first time that you held that little baby is just indescribable, isn't it? That first grandson or daughter. Um, so I'm just, I'm praying that they come back. I really am. But. <laughs> just kidding. They probably will. But this is my first time speaking in the new building, and I'm excited about it. Uh, if it's your first time here, welcome. Uh, if, you're, if, if it's your first time here through uh, Facebook or the internet, we want to welcome you as well. If it's not your first time, then welcome back. So I'm going to do my very best to bring a relevant message for you today. Uh, but the, the best thing that you can do is to come back when Pastor Mike is here because uh, he just presents the truth in such a way and he always uh, gives us what we need. And so I just encourage you, uh, definitely come back. And, uh, and listen to him. So, uh, but I want to take just a brief moment before we start, and I want to thank everyone that was involved in the date night event that we had on Friday. Uh, it, was, it was a great time. Um, I think everybody had fun. I learned stuff that I thought was good. Uh, Jerry and Holly Witt, I'd like to mention them by name. Uh, they helped coordinate and work in the kitchen. Kevin and Kelsey Brown gave just a powerful, powerful testimony about how God's improving their marriage and strengthening their marriage. Uh, and that was, that was very powerful. Jackie Knoll uh, did a lot of work also behind the scenes, set up and get flowers and, and bookmarks and everything. And then we had panel members. Uh, we had sound and music, set up, clean up, meal servers, and marketing and administration. If you had a part in any of that, I'd like you to stand up as we clap for you and thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. It was designed so that we could just encourage marriages, help them to go vertical and do marriage God's way. So, I have really good news for us today. You ready for some good news? Amen. Good, because it comes with some responsibility too. You ready for that? <laughs> All right. <laughs> that, was, that wasn't very... Uh, wasn't very enthusiastic, but that's all right. Um, God started dealing with, with me on this uh, probably a few months ago, and it, it was some things that I was going through, not really new things, things that were familiar, but I've been studying it, and I've been thinking about it, pondering it, and I thought, should I share this with everybody, or is this just something that I'm going through? And I started to be convinced that a lot of us are the same, very similar, and maybe uh, somebody could help uh, by me sharing this too. So I thought, yeah, I'll share it. But let's pray first before we get into it. 
Father, we thank you so much for this time, Lord. Thank you for the opportunity to get together, to hear your uh, word, to hear your voice. We ask, Lord, that you would speak directly to our hearts. Plant your seed in our hearts, Father, and we open them right now, and we just listen for your voice. We listen for uh, a word that is encouraging to us, a word that um, shows us our future, a word, Lord, that um, just opens up our thinking, and we, we do that for you now, and we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So we can put up uh, the slides. There we go. So that's what I'm talking about today. We could advance it to the next one, please. There it is. There's the whole message. One line. Um, no, but this does represent what I call the growth curve. Um, I stole it, actually, from another model, uh, but I think it really applies. And uh, it was introduced to me uh, over 20 years ago uh, when I was 12. Don't do the math on that. <laughs> I was really 14. But... Um, but I was going through something, some circumstances in my life, and uh, I was telling a friend of mine, and I said, you know, this is really uncomfortable. I'm, I don't like what's going on. It feels like I'm in the desert. And then I said, no, it feels like I'm walking in a, in a field of mud, knee-deep mud, and I can't even see the end of it. And then I corrected myself, and I said, no, you know, it's more like a field of knee-deep manure, and that's what it smells like, it feels like. And he said, uh, you know, I got a message for you. He gave me a cassette tape of Graham Cook. And this is what Graham Cook was introducing. And the, the gist of it is we stand on the plateau or the hilltop on the left, right? And then a lot of times God will, will open our eyes. He'll show us what he wants us to do. And that's represented by uh, the hilltop on the right. So he shows us and we think, oh, that looks awesome. Yeah, I really want to go there. And the only way to get there, because he can't take us from where we are to that next hilltop, the only way to get there is, you guessed it, through the valley. So we have to go down into the valley, and a lot of times, as soon as he plants that seed in our heart, things look completely different. And we wonder, what went wrong? Where am I? Where are you, God? So we're going to talk about that a little bit today. The emotions, I think, might be similar to Minnesotans in fall, winter, and then spring. And spring is coming, uh, so I'm excited. Uh, but the lesson is that we need to learn. Uh, we need to learn lessons. We need to be able to operate. We need to be able to withstand or support the glory that is going to come with a higher calling. And so we need to do character development and things like that. Maybe some skill development. But the the reason that I think I wanted to talk about this today is because we are entering a season of breakthrough. Are we not? We are. Um, but that requires God to fulfill his promises spoken over our lives. A lot of us have that, and maybe some of them are dormant. But we need to be fruitful as individuals to have the influence that he wants his church to have. We need to be brought to maturity, and we need to develop an infrastructure to carry that weight of his glory. Now, I'm going to say something that... <clears throat> you know, that I know, and I just want you to know that I know, and that is, I'm a human being, right? I'm a human being. I listened to the, uh, the song Gyra by Elevation Worship on the way here, and I was out of control. I should have probably pulled over, but I didn't. <laughs> but, uh, you know, there's nothing that I can do right now to make God love me more. 
Nothing. He created me to just be a human being and be in his presence. And he wants to love me. And he wants to walk in the cool of the day with me like he did with Adam and Eve. So there's nothing that I can do that would make myself more righteous than Jesus already made me. But do you hear a big but coming? It's not a but, it's an and. And that and is God also created me to do and to glorify him by what I do. That's right. Amen. So a uh, couple scripture that uh, points that out is Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So he prepared the, the works that we are to do even before we were born. 2 Timothy 3.17 says that the word of God is from him directly so that the man of God or human of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped, lacking nothing for every good work. So there's that word work again. Ephesians 4.12, for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. He was talking about the fivefold ministry there. Uh, they are for our equipping for the work of our ministry. So we all have responsibilities. We all have to follow after God and answer his calling and complete the assignment that he has even before we were born. And this isn't a talk about finding your purpose, although that's important and it's probably one of the first steps. We need to, to know our purpose or at least what the next step is for us uh, before we can um, be led by God to get there. But when we know our purpose, and a lot of us can attest, we feel really a sense of peace and fulfillment. And that's the only way that we can feel true peace and true fulfillment is knowing that we are in God's will and we are walking with him. And then nothing can stop us. You ever feel like that and you're just 10 foot tall and bulletproof? Nothing can stop you, no matter what circumstances come your way. So we're going to look at that pattern from the Bible, and maybe some of us can relate for our, from our own experiences, and I really want you to think about where you are, where, you, where God has brought you, where you've been, and where he's taking you in the spiritual development. So we'll quickly uh, discuss or define this process. Can we go to the next slide, please? So the first phase there is the current plateau that we're on, right? That's where we're serving. That's where we're currently positioned, enjoying our level of success and influence for the kingdom. And it's comfortable. We've probably been there for a time. We've been there for a season. And we have comfort in it. And that's where God gives us a vision. And I'll probably use some terms interchangeably like the purpose, vision, dreams, uh, our next assignment, our destiny, our why, um, things like that. So it's what God has given us. Maybe a dream even. So that's where he gives us that vision, and it's the promise phase. It's where God goes, uh, you know, this could be maybe a month from now or 50 years from now, he says, but maybe he whispers, I have a plan for you, something for you to do, something my kingdom needs that only you can do. This is why I've given you all of those gifts and talents. It's for this season, right? I'm, and I'm giving you the desires that you're feeling right now because this is what I needed, need you to do. Are you ready? Let's go. And it sounds exciting, and it is. <laughs> but then the valley. Other terms are wilderness, pit, slavery, dungeon, cow manure, or whatever you want to call it. Um, 
But it's the preparation phase. It, it could be that we need to learn new skills. For me personally, as I look back, it's been character development for me. I need, I need to develop my character so that um, I can stand on the next mountaintop. I need not to be so prideful, unfortunately, is what I've been shown. Um, and, but it's character development. It's pruning. The things that will keep us back or make us fall, God needs to get those out. Um, it's like he just opens our hearts and allows us to see the impurities, allows us to see things that, that don't belong there, that can't be there. So, but then comes the promotion. That's the promise-fulfilled phase. The provision is there. The promotion is experienced. Now there's real success because there's humility. There's servanthood. There's selflessness. Now there's power, the true power that he wants us to have. There's true leadership, which looks like servant leadership. And that's how we have influence on the world for the kingdom. And that's how we operate in our authority. So here's how the seed of promise begins. And I need to run through this very, very quickly. It's for scripture. Mark 4 is where we find, uh, uh, we find the parable of the sower. And Jesus said, this is a key to all the parables. Um, he said, do you not understand this parable? How, will, how then will you understand all parables? The power, or I'm sorry, the sower sows the word. I'm not going to read it. The sower sows the word. The word of God is the seed and the heart is the soil. So he plants his vision and purpose for our lives in our hearts with the seed of his word. James 1.21 says, Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save our souls. So again, the word gets implanted, and what has the ability? Is it us? It says the word has the ability to save our souls. So the, the word is planted, the word has the ability. 1 Thessalonians 2.13 says, For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of man, but as the word of truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. So now uh, we know the seed is able. We know that it works. The effective working there is translated from the, the Greek word energio. So it's the energy of God. The seed has the energy, right? And it has everything in it that's needed. The seed that he's planting in you has everything needed to bring it to fruition. Just like a kernel of corn, has everything in it needed. The root system, the stalk, the leaves, the tassel, um, what else, the corn cob, all the other kernels, they're in that one little seed. And this is huge. This is a huge nugget. I hope you catch this. Luke 137 uh, is the archangel Gabriel standing with Mary, and he's saying that she's going to be with child. And Mary says, well, how can this be, seeing that I have not been with a man? And that's not doubt. That's, a, that's an honest question. And Gabriel says this. He says, for with God, nothing will be impossible. He said, no thing will be impossible. The word thing is translated from the Greek word rhema, which is God's word. So when God speaks his word, none of that is impossible. So instead of uh, two negatives making it a positive, we can turn it around and say, every spoken word of God is possible. 
So we need to grab onto that and believe it. We empower ideas. We empower things with our beliefs, either positively or negatively. So he's encouraging her to believe, right? No word of God is impossible. So God has communicated vision to many of us. I truly believe it. I think, uh, you know, we're excited about getting to that next mountaintop. Uh, some of us maybe are is stagnant. I've had seasons of that in my life too. But in summary of this, our heart is the soil. God's word is the seed planted in our heart. The seed has everything needed to bring it to completion. And the seed has the ability, it has the energy, and we activate it with our belief. All right. So here's my question. From your experience or what you know of the word, does it seem to you like when God gives a promise or tells us that we're about to be involved in something great, does it seem to you like exactly the opposite thing is starting to happen after that? Yes. Amen. We've been through a lot in the last few years. And um, I believe God is calling us up. And I believe there is that breakthrough, don't you? Yes. Amen. So why then does it seem like it's, it goes in the opposite direction? For the Israelites, you know, God promised them, and they spent 40 years in the desert after he promised them the promised land, right? Abraham was promised a son and descendants numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand in the sea. Joseph had a dream from God, two dreams actually, that showed him that his brothers would be under his authority, and even his father would be under his authority. That didn't happen for decades. Uh, how long do you think it took Noah to build the ark? Does anybody know? I, I've heard 120 years. Yes, right down here, sir. 150, I've heard that too. I've heard anywhere between, let's just go on the low side and say it's, it was only 55 to 75 years. That's a long time. Like, can you imagine Noah and his sons hanging off the, uh, uh, the side of the ark? just pounding away, building it, and, you know, 55 years later, his sons had to be just looking at each other like, what are we doing? It's never rained before. And the other one goes, I know, just keep pounding. You know, you just have to keep doing it. Keep, if it feels like mud, keep trudging through. Um, Jesus even was driven into the wilderness for 40 days. He was 100% man and 100% God. I wonder if the 100% man part went, all right, God, I've been here for 39 days. Nothing's happening. What's going on? Uh, but Mike and Rhonda, uh, you know, they had, they went into Bible school. They went back uh, out east, and they were in the dry cleaning business and, and entered a season like this as well before they got into the ministry. Then uh, they were called to build a church or told that, that they would, and how many years later was it before this was built? Years and years. So I've experienced this, many of you have too, and some of us are, are experiencing this right now. So why does this happen? I keep asking that. I'm about to get into one of the reasons, but another reason is because, you know, when God gives us an idea, a dream, uh, a vision, you know it's going to be great. He has nothing but great plans for us. So all of hell is going to muster to try to come at you and try to take that seed away and try not to make it happen. So don't be surprised. This, this is a time to fight. We're going to take a, a real quick look at Joseph's life, um, and we'll look at this outline, and we'll, we can put him on this growth curve 
uh, in a lot of different areas. So, first of all, in Genesis, Genesis, Genesis 37, God gave him a dream twice, and he took that as confirmation. So he knew it was going to happen, uh, that his brothers would one day bow to him, and he's going around bragging about it. His brothers already hated him because he was a tattletale, he was a braggart, and nobody likes that. And so now he tells them about the dream, and they hate him even more. Even his father Jacob rebuked him for it, and the brothers wanted to kill him, but they threw him into a pit. They sold him to the Ishmaelite traders, killed a young goat, put the blood on Joseph's coat of many colors, and let their father believe that he was torn, torn to pieces by wild animals and even eaten. So the Ishmaelite traders sold Joseph to Potiphar, and he was an officer of Pharaoh. He was in Potiphar's house as a slave, but the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man. Even in slavery, he was successful. Potiphar saw the Lord was with him in Genesis 39.3, and it says, His master Potiphar saw that the Lord was with him, and the Lord made all that he did to prosper. So that led Potiphar to put everything under Joseph's authority. Can you imagine putting everything that you have authority over? He was an officer of Pharaoh, and he put everything under a slave's authority. So the, it, it begs the question, can we still prosper when it feels like we're in the pit or in the dungeon or we're in slavery? The word says that Potiphar didn't worry about anything that was under Joseph's authority. In fact, all Potiphar worried about or thought about was the bread that was put in front of him. Joseph had everything else covered. Then Potiphar's wife started coming on to him. Um, Genesis 39.10 says that she spoke to him day by day. She came on to him every single day. And not just coming on to him, she said, hey, come and lie with me. Your master will never find out. And I think this is very interesting. Uh, Joseph was in his early teens, or late teens, or early 20s. Okay, that's all I'm going to say about that. And he said in Genesis 39.9, he told her, you know, my master has put everything under my charge. And then he said something different, something funny. He said, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Even if his master wouldn't find out, he knew God would. And he wanted to be obedient to God. And he viewed that as a sin against God. So Joseph had an experience just like Adam and Eve with the two trees in the garden, right? He was told he could do anything he wanted with all of Potiphar's uh, household except touch his wife. Uh, Adam and Eve could eat of any tree in the garden except the tree of knowledge and good and evil, right? How did each turn out? Adam and Eve didn't do so well on the test. Joseph passed this one. It's a good example. So Potiphar's wife lied about it, said that Joseph was coming on to her. Potiphar threw him in prison, and those prisons weren't as nice as our prisons. They were often um, dark, damp, dank, short, and he had to wear um, chains, fetters, I think. I don't know what those are, but uh, they gave him the bread of affliction, which is not good. You know, they, they didn't want him to die because dying would be too easy. It would be the easy way out. So they gave him just enough bread and just enough water to keep him alive. Then the Lord uh, gave Joseph mercy and grace inside of the keeper 
of the prison, and he did just as Potiphar did. He, gave, he put Joseph in charge of everything. Genesis 3.23 says that the prison keeper didn't even look into anything that was under Joseph's authority because he knew the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made to prosper. Then Pharaoh's butler and baker offended Pharaoh, and they were thrown in jail. They both had dreams, and Joseph interpreted them and told them to remember him when he was out, they were out of prison, but they didn't. So two more years of the bread of affliction, chains and fetters and uh, uncomfortableness. It's, uh, the word says that Joseph was in pain. He was actually in pain. Um, and then Pharaoh had the dream about the seven plump cows and the seven uh, lean cows eating them and then the seven um, plump grains or heads of grain and then the seven lean heads of grain. Uh, and then the butler suddenly remembers, oh, that guy in prison, I forgot about him. Maybe he can interpret. So they got Joseph and sure enough, he did interpret it. And he told Pharaoh what needed to be done. And he said, he said to Pharaoh, collect a discerning and wise man and set him over all the land of Egypt and you know, collect all the grain from the good seven years and then use it during the, the lean seven years. And Pharaoh said to him, inasmuch as God has shown you all this, there is no one as discerning and wise as you. You shall be over my house, he said. That's the third house that Joseph was in charge of so to speak. He said, there will be no one, uh, there, will, there will be no one over you, only me in regard to the throne, will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, see, I have set you over all of the land. So 13 years later, that's what it was, 13 years of the pit, of slavery, of the dungeon, character development that Joseph stood on the mountaintop where God showed him that he would stand. And his brothers came down to Egypt to buy food, and they had to bow to him prior to Joseph revealing them to them that he was their brother. So the dream fulfilled actually took 22 years, because it was 13 years as a slave and in the dungeon, seven good years that Joseph was ruling, and then two lean years, and then his brother came to him. So 22 years before that dream came to pass. So I'm going to ask a question. I'd like a raise of hands. This is not a trick question. There's actually three questions. Um, but I'm not trying to trap you or anything. I just I think we need to know. How many of you have had God tell you or show you or impress upon you on your hearts that you would be involved in something big, bigger than yourself, big for his kingdom, or at least something bigger than you thought possible at the time? And it could be something that has already happened. It could be something that's happening in the future or, or unfolding right now. Or you've been saying to God recently, God, there's got to be something more. There's got to be something different. I've, I've got all these things, these desires that I want to get done. I've got gifts and talents that you've given me. What could it be? So how many of you can say yes to that question with a show of hands? Look at that. Look around. Keep them up. That's awesome. That's awesome. This is the right message today. That's encouraging to me. I love it. I think there's even more, and some of you will hear tonight in a dream. Wouldn't that be awesome? So back to our original question of why. Why does God do this? Why does it seem like he gives us a promise, and then all of a sudden our circumstances are completely different? Let me encourage you with something. 
If you feel like you're in the desert, the, the mud, if you feel like you're in the valley, you can't shorten your valley experience, but you could sure lengthen it. That might not sound like encouragement to you, but, <laughs> but I've, I've concluded that my valley time, whatever it takes for me to learn those things that I need so I won't fall from a higher place is just right. God's got that timing just right for each of us. So we don't want to extend it. Back to Graham Cook's message, get out of the, the valley as soon as you can. Learn what you need to learn, you know? Um, help, have, have him prune wherever he needs pruning and allow him to do that and get up on the next mountaintop. So don't lengthen it. Keep it exactly the right length. So here's how we can not lengthen our dungeon season, wilderness season, or valley experience. So what not to do in the valley? Are you ready? Don't give up. Amen. Don't give up. Don't give up hope. Keep hope. Keep that promise in front of you. Everybody that raised your hands, what did he tell you? Keep that in front of you, on your mirror, your car, whatever. You know all the, all the tricks. But don't give up. Don't give up hope. Don't isolate yourself. This is a lie of the enemy. He'll even tell you that, you know, people would be better off without you. Right? No one will even miss you that much. Ask me how I know this. He'll tell you, they'll go on with life. They'll be fine. That is a lie. Do not even entertain it. You resist that in the name of Jesus as soon as you hear it. Uh, don't sin. God's not up there waiting to throw uh, lightning bolts at you. He's right there with you in the mud, right? He's helping us along. He's not, he's not looking at the negative things. Um, he wants you to succeed, but, you know, if we decide to sin, if we decide to be disobedient and do things we're not supposed to do or don't do the things he's asking us to do, that's going to keep us in, uh, in the desert. So don't sin. You know, he, he might say, well, I guess he needs one more lap around the mountain. Not condemning. Let's help him. Let's help him get around the mountain. Maybe he'll pass it the next time. Or maybe she just needs a little more time in the valley, and we'll help her to get out of it. But God knows that that will keep us from our destiny. Do not murmur and complain. Heavens to Betsy, do not murmur and complain. That kept the Israelites in the desert for 40 years. There were 3 million-ish people there in the desert, and how many of them made it out? Two. Two people made it out because of all the murmuring and complaining. Let's look at uh, Joseph's faithfulness. He was faithful um, in everything that he did. And he faithfully interpreted the butler and the baker's dreams when, um, when he didn't have to. Maybe he would be too frustrated. But he said, interpretation belongs to God. He was still being faithful to God. Interpretation belongs to God, but tell him to me, maybe God will give us an interpretation, was his posture. Uh, the Israelites, in contrast, they took a, all of about three days to start murmuring and complaining and wanting to go back, right, to slavery. So, in the desert, Israel had a pattern of murmuring and complaining, and look where it got them. That's not where we want to be. And, and uh, another thing, too, is sometimes we, or me, 
want to get a little passive aggressive with God. Have you ever done that? And think, you know what, God? I just might not do it. I might not obey. My, my, my life, uh, you know, it doesn't look like I think it should. So I think I can do a better job than you can. So I'm going to sit right here, and you have to do dot, 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 fill in the blank to get me to move. Well, that's a big mistake. If you're trudging through knee-deep cow manure, do not stop, right? Don't sit down. Certainly don't pitch your tent there. We want to keep moving. Amen. So we don't take revenge out on God. We have to have a made-up mind. We've heard that from Pastor Mike many times. We have to have a made-up mind. I think of Job, and Job said, Job was in the valley, right? He said, yea, though he slay me, yet will I serve him. God's not going to slay us. But can we get to the point where we can say that no matter what happens, God, I believe you're in it. I believe you're going to use it for my good. And I'm with you. My mind is made up. I'm going to follow you. So here's what to do in the valley. Keep your eyes on the prize. Remember. Remember what it, what it was that God said to you. Look at Joseph. He practiced leadership and authority in God's presence the whole time. God was still there with him. God made him to prosper. He did everything that he needed to do. All of the dungeon was under his authority and prospering. So again, can we realize and walk in prosperity no matter where we are? What if he would have said to the butler and the, the baker, what if he would have said, oh, you have a dream? I had a dream once. God's dreams don't come true. You can, you can go take your dream to the other side of the cell. I, I don't want to hear it. What would have happened? God would have had to leave him there to rot because he can't have a leader uh, that immature and that unbelieving. So another thing he could have said was, boy, I can't wait to get my hands on those brothers. When I'm in power and they have to bow to me, they wanted to kill me, I'm taking every one of them out. And he didn't do it. So resist temptation also. Every day like Joseph did. He did this without the Bible, without a mentor, without a support group, without a life group, without church, without anything. He was going on what he knew about God and God's dream for him. So resist temptation every day, day after day, just like he did when Potiphar's wife was coming on to him. Be obedient. Uh, Philippians 2.12 says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as, in my, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. And that's not just Paul writing to the uh, Philippians. That's God writing to us. So be obedient. Be faithful. Joseph never lost faith for 20 plus years. He kept working. He kept working as though it would come to pass. So pass the test thing about tests is that they're often life-defining moments. And the thing about life-defining moments is that we don't know we're in a life-defining moment until after. Maybe after we've said the right or wrong thing, after we did the right or wrong thing, we can look back and go, that was good, or that was a mistake. And uh, so that's why we do the right thing, because we don't know we're in a life-defining moment often. And First Peter 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7 says, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, 
you have been grieved by various trials that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's why we go through what we go through, to the praise, honor, and glory, and to reveal Jesus. That process reveals Jesus to us. It reveals Jesus to the people that see us go through it. And it reveals Jesus to everyone, even unbelievers. So testing shows us what is impure, what doesn't belong there. And God kept the Israelites in the desert to show them what was in their heart. You know, a gold bar is tested by acid. If you put acid on a gold bar and nothing happens then we can say this is pure, right? If we put acid on a gold bar and there's impurities in it, it turns color. And then here's what Jamieson, Fawcett, and Brown, Bible commentators, say if that happens, either to gold or us. It, or our hearts, need to pass through a fiery trial to remove the dross and whatever is defective in it in order to bring out its full value. So if you feel like you're in the wilderness, if you feel like you're being tested, God is using that to bring out our full value. Isn't that encouraging? Amen. Yeah. Sometimes we have to die to ourselves. Sometimes we have to crucify the flesh. It's work. But it's for our own good. It's that the value is brought forth. So here, here's the real encouragement and the key to the whole message. It's found... Uh, some of it is found in 2 Corinthians 3.18, and that says, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. So you could look at that and say, well, that's the first glory. That's where I'm at now. God got me here. There might have been a, a season that he had to uh, bring me through, right, a valley. I'm here, but... That, that glory goes to the next glory, right? And the word transformed into the same image is literally taken from the word metamorphosis. So we have to go through a metamorphosis. We get to go through, right, Holly? We get to go through a metamorphosis. So don't slit the cocoon. Lisa and I have a saying, don't slit the cocoon. When it gets tough, we got to keep going. That whatever it's called, larvae, has to get through the cocoon, right? All you science people know this. If you slit that cocoon, it'll die. It needs to go through that trial, that hardship, in order for all the parts, all the pieces to get in the right spot, everything um, that it needs to, everything that the wings need gets, uh, gets taken care of there. And so if we slit the cocoon and let them out, they will die. So don't slit the cocoon. It's in that struggle that the maturity is produced. So here's what I'm excited about. It's Luke 4, when Luke talks about Jesus being driven into the wilderness uh, uh, to be tested for 40 days, he says in verse 1 of chapter 4, Jesus being full of the Holy Spirit was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. So he was full of the Holy Spirit right after his baptism. And then in verse 14, Luke says, and Jesus returned after the test. Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit. So there's a difference. There's a difference in our operating from one plateau to the other or one mountaintop to the other. 
when we go through the fiery challenge, when we go through the, the desert experience, there is something that's different. And we go up in the power of the Spirit. James says, blessed is the man that endures temptation, for when he is tried, he will receive the crown of life. Now, when we think of crowns, we think of the crowns in heaven, right? And we're all going to lay them at Jesus' feet because they, he deserves them, right? We did, we did what, we do whatever we do because of him and through his power. So we're, we're going to do that. But when, when the Bible talks about crowns, it speaks of authority. It speaks of power. So when we go through that, when we go through the fire, when we go through the wilderness experience, uh, we get that on the other side. We get that authority. We get that crown. We get, we get that power. So picture yourself like that as having authority over your circumstances when you come out the other side, when you get up on the, the next mountaintop. So life still happens. Circumstances still happen. But now we're above them. Now, when things happen in our life, it's not like it takes us out for a week and a half, right? It doesn't take us out for six months. It doesn't take us out for eight years. Now we're back in the fight, quick. So can you picture yourself like that? Can you picture yourself operating in the authority and in the power of the spirit in the avenue, in the lane that he has for you, in the office that he is telling you to occupy? Can you see yourself like that? What does it feel like? What does it feel like to be operating in that authority? You're 10 foot tall and bulletproof, right? That's because we've gone through the wilderness, the valley, and that's because we've passed the test. So I have just a couple closing thoughts. More encouragement. God has not put you on a shelf and forgotten about you. He's, he's, not, he's not turning his back on you. He said he would never leave us or forsake us. He's not punishing us because you've done something wrong or for your sin, and he's not abandoning you because you're taking too long to learn your lesson. Have you ever thought that about yourself? Am I ever going to get this? Am I ever going to get it? He can help you prosper you, help prosper you right where you're at. And he is making us lie down in green pastures. He's got a banquet table prepared for us right now, even in the presence of our enemies. He's not punishing you. He's preparing you. Amen. You're being prepared. Just think, church. We're being prepared for a very important moment, something that nobody else can do, nobody else can accomplish. God is not asking anybody else to do it but us, and he's got a great plan for us. He needs us to learn what is needed to operate in the position he's calling us to. So I just want to say, if, if you haven't heard from him, or especially if you haven't asked him into your heart, or if you haven't asked him to, to pay the penalty for your sin, you can't have full peace, and you can't have full fulfillment. That only comes from him. We all have a level of success, um, but only things that he asks us to do or only things that we do for him is what is going to last. Everything else will be burned up. And the Bible says that um, we will be separated. Our sin separates us from him. So we've all sinned, and we have the choice right now to be separated from him and pay the penalty for our own sin or allow Jesus to pay that penalty for us. And 
the Bible says that it can be uh, done easily. Uh, all it is is an acceptance of a gift. It's a free gift, right? Just like if somebody were to give you uh, a birthday present or a Christmas gift, we simply receive it and say thank you. So if that's you, let's, let's pray together. Would you stand with me, please, for this? All you have to do is say a simple prayer if your heart is in the right place, if your heart means it. Uh, you won't be joining this church, but you will be joining the family of God. So let's bow together. Nobody's going to be looking around at you. And, and we'll pray with you. Everyone repeat after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I am a sinner and separated from you. I realize that Jesus is the only way. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one gets to the Father but through him. I receive the free gift of salvation that he died to provide for me. And I thank you for it. Now please fill me with your spirit so that I can walk with you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.